Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. I don't know what the point is of attacking individual witnesses when all those witnesses corroborate the same story. Yes. Like, what are you even doing? Well, because they can't. They're running out of things to say about the process. And now they have other people who corroborate the whistleblower. So they can't attack the whistleblower. They're just listen. They're running out of things to bitch about is the long and short of it. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. It is Friday, and we are excited to be here with you to talk about elections coming up this Tuesday, to talk about the impeachment resolution that has passed in the House of Representatives, and to celebrate the beginning of Pantsuit Politics. This episode is so nostalgic, Sarah, because we are just a few days out from Kentucky's gubernatorial race, and our very first episode of Pantsuit Politics four years ago was about the Kentucky gubernatorial race. Here we are again. Yes, and 
just before we start talking about Matt Bevan again, who is not my favorite topic of conversation, um, we will be celebrating those four years with our final stop on the Nuance Nation tour in Dallas on Friday, November 8th. We want to see all y'all there. It's going to be awesome. Also, new data point if you haven't bought your tickets yet. We're going to have Nuance Nation t-shirts for sale. I'm so excited. And MJ Heger will be with us. It's going to be a lot of fun all around. So hope to see you there. Okay, this coming Tuesday, elections happening across the United States. We have three governor's races, ours, the Louisiana governor's race, in which the incumbent Democrat John Bell Edwards will face off against Eddie Rispone, the Republican. The Mississippi governor's race, the current attorney general, Jim Hood, is the Democrat in that race. The current lieutenant governor, Tate Reeves, is the Republican. And then there are important legislative races in Louisiana, Mississippi, Virginia, and New Jersey plus tons of local races that have really significant consequences for everyone's lives, as we talk about here all the time. I was fascinated to learn this morning that Texas has 10 constitutional amendments on its ballot on Tuesday. Why, Texas? That's a lot. It's a lot. I'm going to put a link in the show notes so that you can read them. Some of them are pretty technical, not something that everyone's going to get real fired up about, but still a constitutional amendment is a constitutional amendment. You should pay attention. So in Kentucky, everybody's watching our race. We've had a couple New York Times, Washington Post articles because our current incumbent governor, Republican Matt Bevin, has really styled himself as like a baby Trump. Like he's Trump. In fact, he was spending so much time with the Trump administration in Washington, D.C., that there was speculation he was looking for an administrative position. That did not happen. There was an anonymous quote in an article I read that somebody from the Trump administration was like, we like him where he's at. (laughs) He is historically unpopular in our state because he's mean, like about a lot of things. And he has really tried to hitch his wagon to Trump. There's lots of commercials with him and Trump. There's lots of commercials with his opponent, Andy Bashir, our current attorney general, and Hillary Clinton and AOC and Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. There's one that really upsets me where it's like Andy Bashir, son of former Kentucky governor, lifelong Kentuckian. He's with them, not with us. That kind of language really angers me. But the polling shows that they're pretty close. It's going to be a tight election and hopefully we'll have higher turnout since Turnout in these off-year elections are usually pretty low. The Kentucky Secretary of State predicts 31% of registered Kentucky voters will show up. But I really hope we exceed those expectations this year. 31% of a state should not select the state's governor. You know, these are big deal elections. I love that we have our constitutional officers elected off of presidential cycles because, in theory, it should be about our state, not about what's going on across the country. I really hate that Matt Bevan has made this a nationalized election when there is plenty to talk about in Kentucky. We have major issues within our state that are deserving of good conversation in this race. And instead, because he's in trouble, I think Bevan's only strategy is just fire up that Trump base. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a big, big issue in Kentucky is the pension system. And Matt Bevan has decided that his best strategy is to attack public school teachers, which are kind of a historically popular crowd. (laughs) And 
didn't get the pension reform he wanted through anyway. So he's sort of trying, I think, to deflect from that, both the fact that he didn't get done what he swore up and down he was going to get done and from the unpopularity of his sort of approach when dealing with this problem. I have felt pretty consistent about Matt Bevin for the last couple of years. I respect that we have problems that are going to have unpopular solutions no matter who brings those solutions to the table, right? When you don't have enough money for things, everybody's going to walk away unhappy. And I appreciate that he's trying to tackle it instead of pass it on to the next governor. However, he, as someone I love very much says, brings a chainsaw when a scalpel would do it. He just cannot work with other people at all. He takes every problem we have and makes it infinitely worse by the way he tackles it. And it has landed him in front of Kentucky's Supreme Court numerous times. It has resulted in it being very difficult to hire and retain good public employees in Kentucky, which we need desperately. It's prompted a lot of people to retire from that system before we had a plan to deal with that. And for me, even though I probably agree more with Bevan on some of the relevant Kentucky policy issues more than I agree with Andy Bashir, Bevan's values, as they have been demonstrated in the way he interacts with literally everyone in our state, are just so contrary to the way that I teach my children to operate in the world that I cannot vote for him. He has other capacities. Like I have seen him in situations where he is really focused on economic development and he's talking about um, changes he'd like to make in Kentucky. And it's sort of like his vision, like a vision talk. And he is convincing and he is authentic. And even as a person who has never liked him or his approach, I will sit in an audience. I saw I sat in a lot of these when I was an elected official and thought, man, if you could just stick to this, it would be a lot better. But he can't. He has to make everybody that disagrees with him, the enemy, whereas Andy Bashir and Jacqueline Coleman, his running mate, who is a friend of mine and who I just adore, have a really different, more traditionally political approach. OK, like we have solutions. We can talk about it. We don't have to paint everybody as that disagrees with us as an enemy of Kentucky. I will be anxious to see if Kentucky is ready for a return to like the more traditional politics that's not so personal and nasty. And Bevan has been very successful on economic development. He has. He is good at that. I hear Bashir's idea for new revenue in our state. He talks a lot about growing agribusiness, agritech, about casinos and uh, sports betting and medical marijuana. And I don't think the numbers back up a lot of what he's saying. I'm very skeptical about many of his policy proposals, but I am also more than I am skeptical of those proposals, tired of the climate that Bevan has fostered in our state. I think that ultimately that kind of climate undermines all of the good he's done with economic development. Why would you want to come into a state that has this crippling partisanship as a business owner. So I, I hope that Kentuckians will will get there with me. Matt Bevan has done his very best to make this race about abortion. There is a sign hanging on my door every single day right now about Bashir being in favor of abortion, which he doesn't talk about a lot because it's not that relevant to a gubernatorial race. 
I also just pragmatically think if you are voting for a governor based on abortion, what you're really saying is I do or do not support my tax dollars going to funding court battles about this. And I don't want my tax dollars going to fund court battles about this. So I don't know. When we talked about this four years ago, I was certain that Matt Bevan was going to lose to Jack Conway, who I thought was a worse candidate than Andy Bashir, And he pulled through. And I think that it will be really interesting to see not only whether Kentuckians are ready for that more traditional style in Frankfurt, but whether they are willing to kind of cast off that hardened Republican label, which I am certain everybody in Senator McConnell's office is going to be watching with bated breath as well. My favorite part about this focus on the abortion aspect is that Jacqueline Coleman, the lieutenant governor candidate with Andy Bashir, is currently pregnant. So that's a really that's a really nice sort of mental gymnastics to paint a pregnant woman as wanting to kill babies. I swear if we could just move past this, it would make me so happy. The advertising sucks so much, too. I got this uh, mailer about Greg Stumbo, who's running for attorney general, and it put his face on a chicken suit to talk about how he is self-dealing. And I I don't know. It's just ridiculous. It doesn't even say who's running against him for attorney general, which is a guy that was handpicked by McConnell's team. But it's just the whole thing is so silly. And I'll tell you what, I think that's why we see around 30 percent turnout in these elections, because you just get all of that crap in the mail and think, what is the point of any of this? But it is too important to think that. So please go vote. Well, and let me just tell you, I don't watch TV like I don't watch broadcast television ever. And I don't know how people who do watch broadcast television regularly do it with these commercials. I've just caught a couple of them in my doctor's office and I almost had to get up and leave. They are so frustrating. And so I really I'm ready for broadcast. Let's let's do this streaming wars thing in a big way because I'm ready for all those commercials to die a slow death. But yes, optimistic. Let's everybody get out and vote. (laughs) Let's show that we do care and that we're empowered and that all this money spent on advertising doesn't work and that we do get out there and we vote our values and we want to participate in our democracy, even if we are frustrated by the campaign season, if we even if we're frustrated by some of the candidates and the choices we have, that we still see it as important to participate. Next up, we are going to talk about impeachment and the resolution and all the testimony. There have been a lot of developments. We're going to catch up. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsy 
If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive & Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive & Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive & June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive & June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Well, with impeachment season upon us, not only do we have an impeachment resolution we're going to talk about in a minute, but we have testimonies every stinking day. And I feel like they're all so impactful, but because they're all so impactful and they're coming so quick, they don't have a lot of impact. I think that's why they the resolution is coming, because they want to get some of this stuff out in the public so that we can really see the impact of somebody like Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vidman, a decorated Army officer and national security expert on Ukraine who testified this week. I'm sorry, my brain is stuck a little bit in you saying impeachment season. Like I was thinking what flavor of coffee and what shoes go with impeachment season. It's just so (laughs) wild to hear it put that way. Okay, so Lieutenant Colonel Venman's testimony was very significant because he was actually on the call between Trump and Zelensky from July 25th that kicked off this entire inquiry. And that's important for a bunch of reasons. But the main one is at this point, we don't really need the whistleblower anymore. And that's a point that Republicans continue to push. And part of the reason that these resolutions 
passed by the House today are so significant in getting rules out there for a public process because you have the president and some of his defenders constantly saying, well, where's the whistleblower? Where'd this person go? When are we going to hear from the whistleblower? Well, as they pointed out early on, the whistleblower didn't actually hear this call. He heard about the call from other people. Now we have someone on the record, name and face there together, who was on the call. And he made sure to say in his statement, I am not the whistleblower. I will not tell you who the whistleblower is. I I think he said he didn't know who the whistleblower is, but he did hear the call and he was concerned about it. And he reported through the chain of command about his concerns on that call. That was the second time that he'd raised concerns, right? Mm Mm-hmm. This man and this man's story is so powerful, which is, of course, why they attacked him. I'm going to get to that in a second because I have some very strong feelings about that. But he immigrated from Ukraine with his twin brother and his father and his grandmother after the death of his mother when he was three. Then he talks about in his opening statement how his father really impressed upon them the importance of really adopting their new country and adapting to their customs and their language. Him and both him and his brother served in the military. He received a purple heart for an injury when he was in Iraq. They both now work for the National Security Council. Their offices are across the hallway from each other, which is amazing. And, you know, he came in his dressed blues. Apparently he, the testimony was incredibly detailed and convincing. And not surprisingly, the second I heard that he was on the call, I'm like, oh, they're going to have questions about whether stuff got left out. And they did. And the answer was, yes, some stuff was left out, including a specific mention of Joe Biden. And I just think this particular firsthand account from someone who is so dedicated to this country is incredibly damaging, incredibly damaging. And they know it. And that's why, um, in the infamous words of Nicole Wallace on MSNBC, who called them chicken shits, Laura Egram and John Wu, which, go home, why is he a commentator, saying, questioning his allegiance to America and his patriotism. I found that so hypocritical and so disgusting, I have trouble even talking about it. I don't know what the point is of attacking individual witnesses when all those witnesses corroborate the same story. Yes. Like, what are you even doing? Well, because they can't, they're running out of things to say about the process. And now they have other people who corroborate the whistleblower, so they can't attack the whistleblower. They're just, listen, they're running out of things to bitch about is the long and short of it. While we are recording, the House is spending hours with Timothy Morrison, who was the senior director for Russian affairs at the National Security Council. He resigned on Thursday. People close to him say that he's been thinking about resigning and returning to the private sector for a while, although it is a little bit weird that he resigned so suddenly before his testimony. He is reportedly just a real straight arrow to like very, very conservative kind of a Bolton acolyte is how I've seen him described, and someone who is going to corroborate all the details that have been heard so far, who said he felt sick when he heard that call, and also someone who is not going to go in there and attack the president. I just feel like if you're Laura Ingram, etc., 
And you have this parade of witnesses coming through who, until this very moment, have been your people. You know, they are super conservative. They're hawkish on foreign affairs. They served previous Republican administrations. They are only showing up once they've gotten subpoenas to do so because they don't want to go personally bankrupt in court fighting about whether they listen to the executive or the legislative branch of our government. Why are you attacking these people? If you're going to make the case on behalf of the president, make the case on behalf of the president. But these folks who are just career national security officials doing their best to tell a very accurate, detailed story, only once they've been subpoenaed to do that, what is the point of dragging these folks through the mud? I mean, if you're Laura Ingram, ratings, right? I think that's part of it is you want to defend the president. That's your base of viewers. But the congressional Republicans and they and I don't want to talk about them as a monolith. You know, even Liz Cheney was like, we are not going to attack this man's patriotism. But she was, you know, she was having to say that because other people were implying the same. And again, I just think they're desperate. I think that they are desperate. They are running out of things to say besides, you know, cherry picking polls that say, oh, people in swing states don't support the impeachment. But that, again, doesn't address the fundamental concern and the fundamental issue, which is, was the president withholding military aid to a country essential to the national security of the United States for his personal political gain? And they don't really have a talking point for that. We've gotten through email some questions about this, so I think it's worth zooming way out for a second. We've talked about this in little pieces, but as things distill... I think the question here is not, was it quid pro quo? It is more, was it corrupt? Because rightly, many people point out that all of foreign policy is in a sense quid pro quo. It's transactional. You do this for us, we'll do this for you. That is not unusual or surprising. Also, Yes, sometimes we ask other countries to help us with ongoing investigations. We ask other countries to help us with all sorts of things. The question is, was this corrupt? And the answer to that, I think, is found in the fact that the president named Joe Biden, harped on wanting Zelensky himself to talk to CNN about opening these investigations clearly used he he bought on to Giuliani's version of the way Ukrainian politics work and the Ukrainian theory of the 2016 election and used that and tied it to national security issues and that to me is where the corruption lives and i think everything else is kind of a distraction and that is the central point that nobody wants to talk about But it's why a whole parade of people whose names we didn't know before this are coming through and all of them are consistently saying, hey, Ukrainian resistance to Russian aggression is important to world peace. And messing with that fragile state because Trump's feelings are hurt about 2016 and he doesn't want to run against Joe Biden in 2020 is wrong. And that's the story. 
That is the clear, consistent story that plays out just reading the opening statements from all of the people who've been in front of the committees. I think what's really important and what is hard to understand for the majority of Americans is we live in a world where everything is partisan and everything is political. But inside the national security structure, that is not the case. Like, I don't, it's not that there aren't competing worldviews or approaches. There absolutely are. But inside the National Security Council, inside the highest ranks of the United States military, they have their eye on a different ball. They're not obsessed with every election cycle in the same way a member of Congress would be, right? Like, it's a different perspective, and it's hard to remember people like that still exist in 2019, where politics is a part of every tiny little piece of pop culture or consumerism or whatever, that there are realms, particularly inside our government, where the perspective is not just soaked through with hyperpartisanship. Yeah, I think it is encouraging to read about these folks coming out of the NSC and the State Department and the work they do and the backgrounds they bring to it, the extraordinary qualifications and service of these people. You know, when you use a phrase as the White House has, like unelected bureaucrat, you are really trashing the people who make our government go every single day through multiple administrations with totally different philosophies. You know, if you want to feel good about the federal government, and I say this as a person who is always for limiting the power of the federal government, if you want to feel really good and impressed about the federal government, read about some of these people who are testifying. Well, and I think impeachment, because it is a political process, historically has seen a flow of political witnesses to a certain extent, especially with Clinton, to a certain extent, even with Nixon. And I think what sets this impeachment apart is that you are seeing this flow of people, even inside a political process, that are not political. To me, it feels different. It feels like, oh, it's not just that we think this particular president, because of our partisan outlook, is terrible at the job and has violated certain rules and regulations. It's that we think this president, separate from politics or his partisan policy positions, is a danger to national security. That feels really different to me. And it's also about what future presidents can do. I think Nancy Pelosi, in her perfect world, would not be going through this process would just be going into another election and working really hard to defeat this president at the ballot box. And I think my distant, not a lifelong Democrat perspective here is that when you consider what it would mean to future presidencies for a president to be able to say, I don't care what Congress has set as our policy toward Ukraine. And I don't care what funds Congress has appropriated to assist Ukraine. I want to get for myself everything I can out of this deal. 
So I'm going to put that funding on hold until I have a promise to get dirt on my political opponents. If you say that that's okay as a Congress, if you do nothing about that, what is a future president going to do that that even ratchets up the corruption around that? And you heard a lot of Democrats using that language as they considered the resolution that the House passed on Thursday morning. We didn't want to do this. We are forced here by the facts. And I think they're right. So we have an impeachment resolution that passed yesterday. The resolution is to continue the ongoing impeachment investigation. So this is not the articles of impeachment they're voting on. This is just a resolution to formalize the rules for the public phase of the impeachment process. I don't know how to talk about this without saying really bluntly that I think all of these process arguments are so without basis that I don't even know where to begin. And I understand why passing this resolution probably is the political move that needs to happen and and probably does need to set up the next phase. But I do not like the narrative that Republicans have rightly pointed out that the process so far has been secret because it hasn't been. Everyone's aware of it. I've read opening statements from all kinds of people. I've been following it like it's happening in my basement. You know, it's a it is a public process insofar as we know it's occurring and who's coming in and out of it. And it is a it's not televised. Process. Yeah. And so far as people are talking about really sensitive information that requires a lot of consideration about what gets presented to the general public. And also, do we all have the attention span for 10 hours of testimony from someone in the State Department we've never heard of? No. I mean, this is the way they're supposed to be doing it. Anyway, the resolution has passed. It sets the rules for the continuation of an ongoing impeachment investigation. These are the rules in the committees that kind of exist anyway, that set up the sort of due process rights of the minority party. It authorizes the Intel Committee to convey, convene public hearings and produce a report that will go to the Judiciary Committee. But they're not rewriting anything major, I think, in this resolution. One of my favorite parts of this resolution is that so the Intel Committee convenes these public hearings, produces that report, sends it to Judiciary. That's where the president's lawyers can get involved and cross-examine witnesses and things. But they could lose that right if the White House keeps stonewalling the investigation. There is a line in it that says, should the president unlawfully refuse to make witnesses available, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee could impose appropriate remedies, including by denying specific requests by the president or his counsel under these procedures to call or question witnesses. So they're saying you can be a part of this process only if you cooperate with this process. Yeah, I like that. I feel like it's a little bit of a holding their feet to the fire in a good way. It's fair. It's absolutely fair. So we had the vote when we're recording this morning on Halloween. We got you this time because usually y'all schedule these news making things to happen the second we're done recording. But we smartened up and we delayed until this vote happened. Ha! So we have 232 House Democrats, one independent. We see you, Justin Amash, voting yes in support of opening an impeachment inquiry. We have a hot mess of zero Republicans voting no, four not voting, including two Democrats, Colin Peterson from Minnesota and Jeff Van Drew from New Jersey, who said they just want to continue the existing investigation, which we don't really understand this stance. 
Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. No, because this vote is just setting up the rules. The Judiciary Committee could get this report from the Intel Committee and say, eh, I don't think we're going to write articles of impeachment. Now, that is 
very improbable, right? But they could do it. And so if you are in favor of continuing the existing investigation, which, by the way, some Republicans have said they are, Will Hurd, Adam Kinzinger, and others have said, yeah, let's see where the facts lead us. I don't understand why you would be against this process to get those facts out into the public in the form of a report to the Judiciary Committee. Seems inconsistent to me. Agreed. Agreed. But whatever. It's they're they're making they're trying to carve out a little political space for themselves, which it's it's like they think that the Republicans running against them next year are going to cut commercials that are going to say, oh, but listen, they didn't support the initial impeachment resolution. I mean, no, they're still going to paint you as favoring impeachment friends. So it's not like you're going to get a pass or anything. And that's the point, I think, about all these process discussions. Whatever the process is, there will be an argument that the process is wrong. If this were all happening in public right now, it would be a circus. It would be grandstanding. It would be performative for the cameras. Since it's not happening in public, it's secret and Soviet style. Whatever it is, it is going to be attacked because there is no good way to impeach a sitting president. It's a terrible thing to have to do. That's why we haven't done it very often in our nation's history, you know. But I think the question is, is this going forth in a way where we have confidence in the facts as they are being developed? And to me, the answer is clearly yes. Yeah, I think that all the polling around impeachment just reflects America's fundamental discomfort with the process. And, you know, the idea that we would be removing somebody from office, I don't think that means that they think it's never appropriate or that they think that everything Trump has done is okay. So, I mean, just the way we phrase any talk about impeachment, particularly in polling, bothers me. Well, all the phrasing about how these witnesses are showing up is hard, too, because you'll see, like, Timothy Morrison appeared voluntarily after receiving a subpoena. Okay, well, if you got a subpoena, it's not voluntary. But we're acting like it's voluntary because other people have received subpoenas and not gone. There's no good way to talk about any of this because it's so unusual. We're in a really strange moment in our country's history. And I think all we can do as citizens is really pay attention to what's going on and where we feel strongly about something, let our representatives know that. So before we wrap up the episode, we wanted to talk about Today, November 1st, which in the Catholic and several Protestant traditions, including my own tradition, the Anglican tradition, is called All Saints Day. This is not a holiday I celebrated as a Baptist growing up. Beth, have you ever celebrated All Saints Day? Our church does a ceremony now that I'm a disciple of Christ. I, I never experienced an All Saints Day celebration in church growing up either. But let me just say that I would like to make an official pitch for All Saints Day or commemoration of all faithful departed. I love that there's a moment in our calendar sort of tied to the cycle of the year as we experience it up here in the United States. So there's shortening of days, there's growing darkness, and we have this ritual where we stop and take a moment to really think about and realize those that are no longer with us, but who, you know, in my faith tradition, we are still in relationship with. I think it's a really important sort of thing to do. This is is more a nuanced life conversation, but I just think it's so important that I wanted to talk about it because this episode is coming about on All Saints Day. You know, this year I will definitely be lighting a candle and 
taking a moment to memorialize the life of Rachel Held Evans, who's really important to this show and to many in the audience and to other people who I've loved and lost um, over the years. And I, I just wanted to encourage everybody else to do the same. I think it's a really nice thing to stop and take a conscious moment to do. I have some wind chimes from my grandmother's funeral in my backyard. And they mean so much to me as we as we're talking about, you know, how we think about people who have been with us and are not now, but are still in some ways. I, I can't help but think about those wind chimes every time I'm outside and I hear them move at all, especially when it's not particularly windy. It gives me such comfort to stay connected to my grandmother, who was this incredibly important person in my life. And I love being able, especially in a church, a place where often Around death, I feel like there's such a sense of finality, even though that's totally at odds with the Christian faith, to think about the people that we have lost and that we remember and that we carry around in our hearts. So I'm glad that you brought this up, Sarah. I think it is really important. I hope everyone takes a minute on this All Saints Day. And thank you for joining us here on Pansy Politics. We will be back on Election Day on Tuesday. And so as the election fervor increases... Try your best to keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.